Our Bible passages are from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 26, and John chapter 11, verses 32 to 44. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, uh, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with the stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. <clears throat> when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amen. Amen. Thank, Thank you, you for the reading and for a chance to gather together and worship. Uh, uh, in between our guest speaker, uh, Reverend Mac Peer, last Sunday, and our guest speaker a week uh, from today, uh, Reverend Terry Robertson, I thought I could do a solo message on the uh, on an insight I gained while reading a, a new book. Well, it's new to me, but it's written by uh, Walter Brueggemann called uh, The Prophetic Imagination, uh, written 40 years ago. And when it came out, it was celebrated by uh, many people for its uh, keen analysis um, into the prophetic critique. Um, of what he termed uh, the royal consciousness, the royal consciousness, um, which uh, developed especially uh, in the uh, Solomonic era of Israel. Now, I won't go much into the uh, thesis itself, but at a minimum, I found some of the observations made uh, about, uh, especially the prophets uh, Jeremiah and Elijah, oh, sorry, Jeremiah, Isaiah, 
uh, to be quite helpful. If you've ever tried to read those books, understand it. You know, I think you share uh, the challenge uh, of what it, what they mean or what the emphasis is. But uh, in his book, Brueggemann point, posits, uh, or he points out that the there's two different responses, right? Different responses to uh, two figures, both named Lazarus, right? Both named Lazarus. Uh, in the New Testament, and the pertinent portions um, of which were read out earlier by Brother Sam. Uh, I titled my message, The Lazarus Effect, uh, alluding to the movie of the same name. The film, which I did not watch, was about uh, bringing back someone who had died, um, back to life. Uh, and it was a horror movie, apparently. And uh, also, it was apparently horrible because it only got 23% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Anyway, the movie must have obtained its name by co-opting the Lazarus story in John 11. Uh, prior to raising Lazarus, uh, Jesus responded to the sorrow and lack of faith of the people with a strong demonstration of pathos. Right? The famous verse 35 tells us poignantly that Jesus wept. The effect of the death of Lazarus the, the effect that the death of Lazarus had upon Jesus was ostensibly one of grief. And we will, of course, explore this a little further. Uh, in the other Lazarus story, known as the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Luke 16, we find that Lazarus is a beggar who lived at the mansion gate of a local unnamed rich person. Even though Lazarus piteously begged for alms, it appears that the rich man paid him no heed. The man dressed and indulged himself in luxury without being impacted by the presence of Lazarus at all. The effect that Lazarus had upon the rich man was nil. The affluent man continued on his merry way and ways without paying any attention to Lazarus. This changed, however, when the rich man died and went to hell. There in torment, he, faced, he faces the fact that he knew Lazarus's identity and plight and did nothing about it. Now, both of these uh, narratives are rich and complex and rightfully deserve numerous messages to consider a host of profound and even thorny interpretive issues. Um, these stories span charity, faith, obedience, judgment, uh, the afterlife, right? to name a few oh, light theological subject matter. But I want to stay focused on the effects that these two Lazaruses had upon Jesus and the rich man, respectively, and say a little something on possible reasons why the effects were so different. We'll look first at the parabolic Lazarus and then the actual friend of Jesus, Lazarus. So why did the rich man ignore Lazarus? Just want to suggest uh, three possible kind of qualities he had or three possible reasons uh, for his inaction. Why he did zero, why he did nothing. Perhaps he was stingy. Stingy, he was very... He kept his money to himself. He didn't want to give it to anybody else. Or maybe he was oblivious to the needs. He, 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 you know, Lazarus was right there, but he just didn't notice. He was just too busy or too uh, preoccupied. Or he was numb. Right? He did see it. 
Maybe he even felt it at once before. But the only way that he could cope was to numb himself. So I'll kind of uh, talk about these a little bit more. Uh, so the first possible reason, stinginess, is that uh, he was that, just that selfishly stingy. Right? Even though he saw Lazarus day after day, he was so miserly, he refused to give Lazarus anything, not even the compost that fell from his sumptuous table. Maybe he had the view espoused by uh, Ebenezer Scrooge in, uh, the, in Dickens' uh, story, A Christmas Carol, which uh, describes the affluent, miserly, London-based businessman, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, as a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Of course, we are called to be prudent uh, with our resources, and frugality can be virtuous at times. But the rich man's rejection of any duty to help the destitute Lazarus uh, while he pampered himself in the lap of luxury was inexcusable. I wonder if the rich man ever tried to reason this out a little to salve his occasionally stricken conscience. Uh, the argument would tend to put the blame and onus on Lazarus and his ilk as lazy, or irresponsible, or profligate. In other words, um, G Lazarus deserved his fate, and handouts or welfare would not really be effective in changing his socioeconomic uh, position. Hmm. So, stingy might be one reason. A second possible reason, that I would extend is that the rich man was oblivious, uh, oblivious to Lazarus's suffering. Uh, this would be hard to believe since uh, Lazarus practically resided at the man's exterior. And it's not like, at least we don't know, um, that the rich man had urgent and formidable responsibilities to tend to. But preoccupation is not limited to noble pursuits. We've all squandered time and energy in activities that are not, you know, for the greater good. Uh, some of these binging that we do is downright unhealthy. And by doing so, uh, we may miss out on God-given opportunities uh, to serve others and uh, share His love. So whenever we're too busy to care, um, even in a small way to our fellow uh, human beings or care about our fellow human beings, then we're probably uh, just too busy. Uh, why are we killing ourselves in our professions or our studies? Why are we overcommitted with our time to the point that we are so unaware of people in need? who might be crying out right in front of us. Uh, the parable of the sheep and goats uh, illustrates this quite dramatically. Uh, Jesus speaking about Judgment Day reproves those uh, K-prime, goat-like individuals 
who did not help those who were hungry or thirsty, homeless or destitute, lonely or imprisoned. By not seeing their need, right, Jesus says that these people did not see Jesus either, Jesus in them either. So while keeping um, ourselves busy meeting the demands of life, especially in a place like New York City, that can be a needful thing to do if it costs us chances uh, to see Jesus in people, or as Ed mentioned, God sightings, right? Uh, then haven't we missed the big boat? Yeah, we've missed it. We've kind of been distracted. We've missed out on what the Lord wants us to see. Are we not only being oblivious to people, but oblivious uh, to God? Under my third suggested reason, for why the rich man did not aid Lazarus is what actually Brueggemann uh, posits, that the man was numb to the cares of others. Okay, life, uh, even a luxuriant one, can take a lot out of us. To maintain status quo, to keep up with the Joneses, or just keep up with ourselves, for that matter, is no easy feat. Um, and we end up not being able to feel very much of anything. We just, you know, need to keep the ball rolling. We've got to keep at it, keep going. And we can't really stop and think. We can't really stop and feel. The show must go on. And uh, that's where the prophetic imagination begins, uh, with a lament, um, a shared brokenness about the dominance of what he's calling the royal consciousness. Um, yeah, so sensing that there is something seriously wrong with feasting while people close by are starving. That is, I think, the proper way uh, how we can avoid the numbness that is uh, so prevalent in our society. Maybe the rich man tried to help before, but it had cost him too much emotionally or the needs of the people were too overwhelming, um, the result being that he had to keep a distance to protect himself. Compassion fatigue, uh, apparently, is a real thing. Uh, if we try to do too much over too long a period of time, the result might be that we get burnt out. Or if we get sufficiently burned by others, if we're hurt, we tend to numb ourselves as a form of protection. Right? This was Jonah sleeping uh, in the boat when he fled God's call, indifferent to the roiling storm that threatened to campsite the ship. Numbness is a great description of our times. Yeah, there's so many crazy things happening, unthinkable situations, intractable conflicts, natural disaster after natural disaster. So life is just, you, we're all walking stress bombs, right? So after a while, just to survive, we get benumbed to individual pain and specific cares. It's a coping mechanism, but it can be permanent, right? You've heard me talk about how, when I read statistics about the pandemic, right? How many people have died? I think we're nearing 750,000. 750,000, 750,000, right? Of dead people in America, the greatest healthcare system or Health, not, let's not say system, the most healthcare knowledge in the world. I just, you know, I mean, there's a lot of factors, I'm sure, that have played in, but that just, I just, 
I just don't want to think about it. I just, it's just a number to me now. It's not, I don't see individual faces. I don't, you know, can you imagine all the funerals? Can you imagine like what is just happening? Yeah. Whatever it is that caused the actual, the actual reason for the rich man, uh, for his, you know, non-Lazarus effect, time runs out on him. He dies. And uh, the possible reasons that I've laid out, stinginess, obliviousness, and numbness, they all express wow, um, themselves in extremely severe ways um, in the afterlife. In hell, the rich man can't conjole a measly drop of water to cool his burning tongue. Just like he wouldn't give Lazarus a scrap, no one can give him a drop of water. He can't be helped by the heavenly figures of Abraham and Lazarus because the great chasm that exists precludes assistance from above to below. And the rich man can't even afford to be numb, right? He feels his agony too deeply and too desperately. Uh, in a section in chapter six, Luke 16, uh, we did, which we did not read, he frets, the man frets about five of his brothers who are on the same downward path that he was on. But nothing can be done about it. Inaction, apathy, insouciance, these are, mere, these are more deadly than we might realize. Well, let's uh, pivot to the Lazarus effect upon Jesus. Why did Jesus shed tears? Why was he moved to deep emotion? Like I did for the rich man, let us consider three possible impetuses. Why the tears? Okay, first I want to talk about compassion, right? That's the, probably the biggest, most apparent or obvious thing that comes out from the text. Jesus is compassion. But I want to go a little further and look at anguish, right? This thing, anguish, uh, frustration, uh, a certain anger, even if you want to take it that direction. Um, and then we'll finish with gratitude. Right? Was there gratitude involved in Jesus's reaction or response to um, the death of Lazarus? Uh, I'll try to go somewhat quickly through these motivations. So uh, first, you know, a key quality of Jesus demonstrated regularly and deeply is his compassion. So um, looking at verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. Seeing how brokenhearted uh, the people were, especially the beloved sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary, Je Jesus is moved by their grief. It is interesting to me that the first sound of life from a newborn is a cry. It will be the first of many. There's much to be sorrowful about in this life. Uh, last week, Pastor Mac referred to the disconsolate Jacob who thought he had lost Joseph forever. Isaiah 53 tells us that the Messiah uh, would be a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. And indeed, Jesus' ability uh, to suffer with compassion, right? Com is with passion and suffering with others was evident in many gospel narratives. Uh, the Greek word for compassion is quite interesting. I'm not sure I can pronounce this. It's plagchnizomai. 
So we should say that to each other. Please have splag chinizomai on me, with me. The first part of the word, splagdchna, means internal organs, right? Our guts, our guts. So literally, it's to feel something viscerally or in the pit of your stomach. That's the kind of impact compassion has. Uh, what the rich man refused or failed to feel, Jesus felt in spades. He saw firsthand how devastating death could be. Jesus shared their grief as they felt it. He felt their grief in his bowels, in his gut. Interestingly, in a real sense, I think Jesus somehow f was able to feel their pain, even if he himself did not feel it directly. Um, what I'm trying to say is that I don't think Jesus necessarily, personally, directly felt grief about Lazarus's death, right? Because his intention was to bring Lazarus back. He wanted to raise Lazarus. In fact, he delayed coming to Bethany, right? so that Lazarus would be really dead when he arrived because all along he's going to bring back. So I don't think Jesus is feeling grief or sorrow about Lazarus' death. So his tears here are vicarious. He's feeling it by seeing the other people. That's the kind of compassion. Right? He was not sad at the death of Lazarus per se. He was moved by the enormous impact death levied upon those who survive. Yeah. So how is our compassion meter. Yeah. Can we uh, stand in the shoes of others? Can we feel their pain? Even if ours is not um, strong at any given time. Or, like the rich man, maybe we default to numbness. Even when we don't want to, or even though we know we shouldn't. Moving on to the second reason for tears. We'll talk a little bit about anguish. So I think there's more going on than just pity or sadness about death. Right? Jesus, uh, in fact, has been giving a long lesson about faith uh, to his disciples, right? In the earlier unread verses in John 11, to Martha and Mary, and to all the people who, who are nearby. Uh, Jesus wants to show them that he is the resurrection and the life. Even death cannot overcome the life that was in him, uh, which would also be passed on to those who believed in him. Right? And though uh, Martha and others confess, they say, yeah, we believe you. We, we, we think you are the resurrection and the life. They don't really trust him, right? They don't really believe he controls life and death. So when Jesus commands that the stone covering be removed, Martha objects, right? She articulates the obvious fact that Lazarus's decaying body has begun to emit foul odors. So here's Jesus's reaction. Once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, right? Commands Lazarus to come out, verse 40. I, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So in Jesus' mind and heart, 
uh, it's not just, oh, this is sad. This is a, a, a mournful situation, right? Yeah, there's something kind of brewing, and simmering, and even boiling uh, in his heart. And I think it's fair to say that he's frustrated at their lack of faith. Now, have you ever been um, so upset, right? Uh, say, um, you know, in, in a justified manner, right, to the point where you've just, your, your tears have flown, right? Not, maybe you haven't yelled, maybe you haven't, you know, swung at anything, but the way that your frustration and, 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 and what's crying out in your heart comes out uh, through tears. It doesn't have to be like sobbing, right? But it just, yeah, that's, your body's reaction, that's your reaction to, let's say, righteous indignation. Yeah. So in the movie Glory, right, when Denzel Washington is, uh, he's a, wants to be a soldier for the Union Army, but he leaves at, like at night to try to find some shoes because they have very bad equipment. He gets caught, they think he's deserting, and they decide to you know, Colonel Shaw decides to uh, whip him. And uh, when you see his back, he's already been whipped hundreds of times, so many scars, and then um, the whipping discipline begins. And uh, Denzel Washington, right, he just endures it, right? He's got kind of a, a dispassionate face, but um, as he's going through it, a single tear like, you know, runs down his, the side of his face, right? And it's such a powerful response, a powerful picture of all the indignity, all of the suffering, all of the injustice that uh, black Americans have had to endure up to then and even uh, through now, right? I was watching the, or listening to the director's commentary on that, they're saying that they never even planned that. They just asked him to kind of take in the moment and what would his, you know, normal, not normal, but what would his response be in that kind of, they let him act, right? To determine what the, how the, the movie would go and that's what came out of him, right? So it's like out of his heart came this um, really uh, poignant uh, protest against what was going on. Now, I don't know how our tear ducts and our sense of justice actually interact, but in this instance, I would venture to say that Jesus was troubled to the point of emoting at the inability of the people to break out of their paradigm. Uh, there was a sense of sorrow that the people were so shackled to what they were accustomed to, right? That death always prevails. So even when God himself stood before them and promised to grant uh, them their deepest prayer to bring comfort and deliverance, they were unable incapable of believing. They couldn't will themselves to faith. And it can be maddening when the people who need to trust are unable or refuse uh, to trust, right? If you're a parent and you've tried to communicate your love to your kid and they don't understand it or uh, accept it or respect it or appreciate it or they don't trust, oh, that's the most painful thing, right? That a parent could ever feel. Um, I believe that what 
Genesis 6 said, right before the flood, that the Lord was grieved and his heart was filled with pain. That's not an isolated uh, occurrence. Right? God feels, uh, feels, right? Uh, here Jesus responds with brokenness, anguish at their lack of faith. Uh, finally, let me conclude with the stimulus that I want to say gratitude gave to Jesus' affections. So verse 41, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for, this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Uh, Jesus prays to the Father to help people realize that the Son is indeed the resurrection and the life. Um, Jesus does not just throw up his hands and walk away. Sometimes that's our reaction. Sometimes that's you know what people do. Right? Just kind of give up. Uh, but here Jesus prays. Right? He lifts up a prayer of thanksgiving to God. And, and that prayer, that answered prayer, it redeems this tragic situation and brings about a collective moment of tearful joy. Of course, there's no specific mention of Jesus shedding tears in conjunction with this prayer. And they call to Lazarus uh, to come forth from the tomb. But I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility um, that the tears of sorrow uh, were transformed into uh, tears of joy. Um, Certainly, that's one of the themes that you find in, in, in popular culture, in movies and books, right? Where like, somebody believes someone is gone forever or dead or something is, is, is over. And then when it actually is not, when the person is not dead, right? Like their sorrow suddenly turns to joy. Birth, right? Uh, the birth where there's like agony and pain and you know, bodily destruction <laughs> for the mother, right? Uh, when the child comes out. Right? The, the tears of, of elation and relief and happiness right? that can fill uh, the parents. Um, if not in Jesus, uh, I would conjecture that at least Martha and Mary and the others saw their grief turn into joy. How could it not? Right? They were so saddened by Lazarus' untimely death, but Jesus brought the real Lazarus back. And they saw it. They witnessed it with their own eyes. How could you not be moved by that? Their mourning turned into dancing. Their bitterness morphed into joy. Gratitude must have overflown for the mighty miracle that Jesus accomplished, bringing Lazarus back uh, from the dead. Okay, we've looked at three possible explanations why the rich man his Lazarus effect was so minimal, right? his reaction. You know, we've thought about three motivations why maybe Jesus was overreacting, right? certainly. Um, so let's close with reflecting ourselves once again. Uh, where am I? Uh, am I more like the rich man's inaction? or more like Jesus is being moved. I hope um, you understand that I'm not just trying to talk about some mere emotional state. 
It's not like bleeding heart versus stolid pragmatism. Uh, I think there's more going on, right? It's deeper than that. It's about like who we are, what kind of core values, right? What moves you, what doesn't move you? Um, how are they affected? How are they expressed? When the, while the rich man's heart was cold and unresponsive and minimally impacted by the impoverished beggar at his doorstep. Um, he was like that because he chose to live that way. Decision upon decision, day after day. Uh, the inaction was not just this one moment, just this one person. He was like that, you know, he became like that. The effect on Lazarus on Jesus was the direct opposite. Jesus lived a compassionate life. He was really bothered all the time at people's lack of faith. Um, Jesus was full of gratitude. He always was always giving thanks to God for what he saw and what was going on. Yeah, Jesus embodied and epitomized these qualities every day. So let's go to prayer uh, now. Will we move to follow Jesus or will we remain in the rich man's estate? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a chance to compare and look at um, two very different responses to uh, situations that are difficult, death, poverty, um, which we see a lot of. Uh, there's, we're in a time where um, things are really, really difficult and challenging. and. Um, I pray that uh, through the example, through the inspiration of Jesus, uh, we can uh, uh, act accordingly. We can feel accordingly, properly, uh, like you want us to. Uh, Lord, help us to be to find and identify the Lazaruses that I think are all around us, and as you would lead us, uh, feel and think and change to how you would want. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.